If employees and leaders and managers are doing a phenomenal job in their job, the equation looks like you're doing a great job. You are technically competent. It's almost as if we're okay to turn a blind eye to all the other areas that either make employees uncomfortable or make our customers or our clients uncomfortable. But the reality is now, if you've noticed just in the news over the last few years, boards of directors aren't as willing to keep a CEO or a high level executive who, oh, by the way, they're making money for the organization, but every other part of the business is going downhill. And so I think it's important for there to be conversations. There needs to be open communication about how phenomenal we think our employees are, no matter their level in the organization, and coupled with what our expectation is around them being both technically and emotionally competent. It isn't good enough if they bring in $50 million a year and you have 250% turnover in your staff and your leaders. This is the Restaurant General Manager Podcast with your host, Scott Stanfield the GM coach. What is the most important skill a restaurant manager must own? Is it writing schedules, reading the P&L, or controlling cost? The answer is none of the above. For over 25 years, I've been managing and leading restaurants, and this is what I've learned. Each and every shift, you must be prepared to deal with heated guests and employees. That's why When I decided to create my first free download, I wrote exactly that. Learn my step-by-step method to turn the tables on unhappy guests and employees. Titled, Upset to Happy in One Conversation, this is more than just a free ebook. To start taking your guests from upset to happy in one conversation, click on the link in the show notes or go to my website, thegmcoach.com forward slash upset to happy to get your free copy today. Welcome to the Restaurant General Manager Podcast. This is an interview with Marvell Allen. Our main topic of conversation is emotional intelligence. I absolutely love this interview with her, and it's so on point. Even though this was recorded back in January, right after the first of the year, this is so important for us as leaders to remain emotionally intelligent. And as you'll notice, there was a really an aha moment for me later in the podcast where Marvell pushes back on me and I have this realization that, it's, that emotional intelligence is not about suppressing our emotions, but it's about experiencing our emotions. The biggest piece of this is not only awareness, but self-regulation, social awareness, and you know, social relationships and how we manage those, but also how this works in the heat of the moment and how we can teach our teams to rise above and perform better under pressure. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. And if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to Marvell or myself. Now let's get to the podcast. Today's guest is certified as a leadership and talent management coach and has worked with Marriott, Visa, the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google. Her company designs and delivers leadership development programs 
for all levels, even for cities, counties, and municipalities. Her areas of expertise are change management, inclusive leadership, organizational influence, conflict management, and today's topic of emotional intelligence. Today on the Restaurant General Manager podcast is the owner and principal of Millennium Career Advantage, Marvell Allen. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Scott. I'm very happy to be here and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Thank you very much. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. You're welcome. So we, we did some background, had a pretty long conversation this morning. And um, I want to ask you as the first question, as we get into emotional intelligence and EQ and start laying a foundation for that, what was the job you had when you were in graduate school? Thank you. And I'm so glad that I remembered to bring that up in terms of what happens to us when we're in a public facing type of position. And um, one of the things that I was very blessed to be, I'd always wanted to work in a restaurant. And when I was in graduate school, I worked at a high end seafood restaurant down on the in the mid coast of uh, California. And what was exciting about that position was that not only did I have to learn the um, products and the services that we offered and the importance of how the owners and the leaders of of this restaurant saw the importance of their servers. And because of our relationship with the guests, it was really important that we understand what the expectations were. Now, looking back on that experience, I believe that my emotional intelligence at the time, which, of course, probably in graduate school, I wouldn't have been able to name it the way I did. It really supported my understanding. Oh, okay, It's one thing to be able to tell the guests what the food tastes like, how it may be presented, how long it may take to prepare. It's another thing to come to their table excited to see them, really making them feel welcome and at home. And those were things that I learned a lot in my family, but also it created an opportunity for me to let them feel like they were at home in our, in our place. So that for me was probably a little bit telling. And I got more excited about that role even when I was a new server in that restaurant Mm. with what I could do to make sure our guests knew that I was excited about them being there as they were. Wow. And you were telling me a story about how you got to work with a particular server at night. So how did you see her emotional intelligence or EQ as we're going to probably shorten that up? Okay. Emotional quotient uh, play a role in how she, you know, managed her tables and all the stuff at night. Well, I I think there's a couple of things. First of all, for the work that I did, I, because I was new, I had to quote unquote start at the bottom. They were not going to give me a night shift and I was okay with that because my graduate school studies were at night. So I needed to work during the day, but I had specific things that I did. I got one great shift. I got Sunday brunch. But the other shifts were usually when groups came in by bus. I was one of the two servers who supported the 15 or 20 people that may have come in on these tours. But I became, which I was so proud of at the time, employee of the month. 
And because of the work that I did, that afforded me a couple of really cool things with this restaurant. Number one, my husband and I were invited to dinner one night. Uh, and number two, I got an opportunity to see how one of their best servers worked with her customers at night. So that was really great because everyone obviously wanted a night shift in terms of doing their work. You get to meet, quote unquote, great customers. Um, the, the, the tabs are usually larger. It just was a great opportunity. So I was able to do some of my shadowing of one of their best servers. And one of the things that I find, found out about her was that she not only moved around the restaurant with confidence, whether she was supporting her own tables or someone else's tables if she had to, but she had this positive, kind of exuberant, very contagious attitude. She had a great laugh, which of course you could hear across the room, but it wasn't obnoxious, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It sounded as though she was having as much fun on her shift as she expected her customers to do. And so what I learned from her, and by the way, she did give me instruction as well as letting me shadow her and watch how she interacted with the customers. She had several customers there the night that I was there that were regulars for her. So they would wait for a table in order to sit in her section, which told me, okay, they like a lot of things about her. It's not just the food that brings them back. So I think the other thing was that she was very, very quick to kind of gauge the room and see where there might need to be a little bit of support from her with respect to another server. And I thought that was great too. She didn't have a selfish attitude about how she supported. So I learned from her that there were a lot of different things around, um, as it turns out now, EQ, that could make our relationships with our customers that much more memorable for them and then this is the other piece that I learned. It also made it really fun for the servers. They didn't just look at it as a job. That's huge. So you're basically seeing a direct correlation in an elevated performance in that server's ability to maintain our composure. Absolutely. And on nights when we have, when it's pressure situations, for example, uh, you go into the bar and we used to manage and go into the bar and bring our drinks back for our for our um, customers. If you brought back the wrong drink or it wasn't mixed well or it was different, she was able to find a little fun in that and tell the customer, for example, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, oh, don't worry, we're getting you the right drink. This is just to get you ready for that right drink. So <laughs> even though it may have been the wrong one, she didn't start off with an apology. She started off with something that would make the guests feel at ease. And then, of course, bring back what the guest had asked for. Wow. This is, uh, that's, that's amazing. And you touched on another thing that I, that you, you also mentioned that she wasn't sel selfish either. She was other-centered. Oh, yeah. She definitely was other-centered. And I think that's another reason why she was one that was asked a lot to do some of the training for new staff. Here's what I think they were looking for. If we have to duplicate someone's quality of service, let's start with her. 
And if it means that there's going to be some tables we need to take away from her so that she can give this quality training to others, it will be okay because she knows it will come back later in terms of her opportunity to continue to make the income that she was used to making. So right. I, I think that other centered helped. She never gave me the attitude, well, here I am, I have to train you now. She never had that, that, uh, that attitude of I'm being used and abused. Now I have to train everyone. Right. Instead, what I got was, wow, this is an opportunity for me to use the very best of what I bring to the restaurant industry to have it rub off on some others that we want to make sure provide the same quality. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. My, my secret goal in life is to, is to, to make as many emotionally intelligent restaurants in the world. And uh, what you're explaining right there is just like, solid gold, just like solid gold for what we can do. So, I mean, we could have another whole episode on how to hire people that have a high EQ and that are altruistic and, um, you know, and that, that would be another, another whole episode for there, but. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would, if I could, um, Scott, just one last thing. If we look at people with emotional intelligence as being poised, uh, they can be outgoing, although a lot of them are not necessarily, um, that they tend to be cheerful, they have empathy for others, and they can express their feelings really directly, if appropriate, but they also have the capacity to continue to build those relationships. So I found in her after I finally left the restaurant that I had a friend. She wasn't just a coworker that I happened to work at this restaurant with. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I absolutely. There is a book that I had uh, bought in. Uh, then I gave it away and I, and I bought another one. So I got it on the way, but it was how to hire for emotional intelligence. And one of the, 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 pieces in there was asking in the interview if somebody was still friends with or plan to be friends with people they currently work with. And so that's definitely, definitely a big piece of the puzzle that we don't really, really think about because a lot of times when we change jobs, we change our friends. Right? That's correct. Right? That is correct. And in some cases, it's understandable. We're not expected to drag along the friends we had from graduate school all the way to, you know, 15, 20, 30 years later. But the reality is the ones that we do keep that long are the ones that were supposed to be in our orbit. They're the ones that were supposed to be there. Absolutely. Talking about a server, which is, you know, obviously, you know, we want people in our teams in the restaurants that do have a strong capacity to be emotionally stable. Because when the pressure's on, we need people who are not going to crumble in, in those moments. And so I want to just take a second to kind of, you know, do two things. One is tell my story, how I got onto emotional intelligence and, and, and why we even got to the point to where there is this podcast, this conversation, all those different things. And so about five years ago, I was attending the Global Leadership Summit and the first speaker was John C. Maxwell, and he, he wrote a book. He's wrote many books, many, many books. But the, the classic, The 25 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and I use two laws in there religiously, and one of them is the law of the lid. And he was explaining, he's one of the opening speakers, and he said, 
an organization will not surpass the level of leadership of the person who runs it. So if your leadership's a four, your organization's a three. If your, if your leadership is an eight, your organization will be a seven. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I then now knew it wasn't, you know, everybody else's reason why the organization or the restaurant that I managed or the hotel food and beverage department as I was at the time um, was, was leading, was in, in, in meeting the expectations of everybody, the guests, the employees, uh, me, the ownership, everybody in between. It was the leadership was holding it back. And who was the leader? It was me. Yeah. And then the very next speaker was Dr. Travis Bradbury from Talent Smart, who's co-author of a book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And he had this, he said this quote that EQ is a greater indicator of success than IQ. And that, I, you know, my son was there with me and he turns 18 this year and I wanted to expose leadership things. And we looked at each other, made eye contact. He, his eyebrows went up and mine did too. And it's so basically emotional intelligence or emotional quotient EQ is a greater indicator of success. And then of course, you know, there's all these different things in there. There's this quote I found from Bruce Lee. It's pretty amazing. It says emotions can be the enemy. If you give into your emotion, you lose yourself. You must be at one with your emotions because the body always follows the mind. Mm, so true. It's so true. So in understanding that as a, as a leader, if, the, if we're the lid and we have a low emotional intelligence, it then transfers to our team and then transfers to our guests and then overall the performance of our restaurant. And then that translates into numbers on the profits and loss statement. If EQ is the big piece of the puzzle that leaders are missing, you know, that, you know, and I don't want to talk forever. This is not a form for me to stand here and talk and give a speech about emotional intelligence, but I just wanted to kind of lay down the foundation of how important this is. And so we can shed light onto it and where we can start. So my question now, I made, I said all that to say this, let me get to a question, which is what do emotionally intelligent leaders bring to restaurants or bring to work? That's a great question as well. And I want to just preface it by saying it's one thing for those leaders to bring these things to work. It's another thing for them to practice and be conscious about what these things are. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that there's a, a, a few things that they um, need to be sensitive to. And let's be clear, I think, to Scott. Other industries would probably need to be looking at these things as well, particularly if they're in the service industry. So I would say when we look at our medical fields, we look at doctors and nurses and people who provide the support to people, I would say they're another group if we had to look at what some of these areas are. So for me, one of the most important things is that Leaders who have high EQ really are excellent listeners. They are active listeners and they are conscious of not judging while they're listening. So this whole notion of being able to listen well, being conscious not to judge because that person may or may not 
have your background or your expertise. So that would be one thing that I would say for sure. I think that they are able to manage difficult situations and sometimes they need to be quick on the draw, but other times they are ones who can manage difficult situations because they can step back just a bit, control their own emotions so that they can then turn around and decide what's going to be the most effective way to handle this particular situation or not. Mm. Another area that I think is important is that they're very good at influencing others. And <clears throat> excuse me, when I say influencing others, I don't mean those leaders that are um, authoritarian, tell people what to do. They're not influencing they're kind of just dropping the hammer. You will do this. They give ultimatums. But I think instead, what we look at for people that are leaders with high IQ, they can influence others by getting them to think about some of the recommendations that are made, come in with their own ideas of what those recommendations might be, and give them the opportunity to execute on what it is, and then come back because they will have learned some uh, ideas that they can also give to the leader themselves. A couple of other things I think that they're very good at gaining respect from others in their area of expertise, but also, which I think I found out when I was with Host Marriott Services, they need to be good in spite of their expertise with understanding that they're not the only ones with that expertise. And I think that a, a person or leader who is, has a high EQ understands that they need to be a little bit more comfortable with being vulnerable. Uh, example, because I have 50 years of experience, let's say, that doesn't mean that someone with three can't bring me some new things that I can learn. And me not thinking that because I have much more experience and expertise and many more years on them that they in fact only can learn from me i can't learn from them so having that vulnerability to be okay with and comfortable with that vulnerability at the same time that they can be empathetic with people who don't have the same background or expertise or even worldliness that they do um, I think it's really, really important. So those would be some that I would think about. Um, they're also very good at expressing themselves clearly. But Scott, that takes practice. Mm. I don't think that people are born with knowing how to express themselves. I think it's important that we practice because therein lies another opportunity for influencing. Absolutely. This, and as you say, this is a practice. This is something that... Yes you know, for me started as an endeavor to become a better manager, a better leader, but it's also made me a better husband and a better father. And it's been, you know, and all the things that, that better friend, you know, better, you know, son, you know, to where I don't, I am less likely to become hijacked by my emotions Yes, and to respond with logic versus reacting to something that happens. And I think, you know, there's the, the old, there's a quote out there, you know, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to what happened to yes. you. Yes. And that's and, a good mantra for EQ, quite frankly. 
It, it um, is. Because so many of us don't look at it that way. <clears throat> we don't give ourselves or others the opportunity to look past that um, 10% that we know because we're so engaged in the 90% that right. we think is more important in terms of us having our way or making sure people know that we've arrived or whatever have you. And I think in the, I, I think the other thing in the restaurant industry and in hospitality in general, because I'm thinking of hotels, I'm thinking of uh, uh, retreats, I'm thinking of people who manage um, different kinds of travel venues. There's a real need from an emotional intelligence standpoint to remember how it felt for you when you were five years old, if that happened for you and you opened up your first presence under the tree. Yeah. There's that exuberance and that excitement or on your birthday when you opened up that first present, if you remember that. But it could also be if that wasn't part of, of your upbringing and, and if the, the holidays and things weren't a part of your upbringing, think back to something that gave you such joy that then you decide, wow, this was really great. You were wide-eyed about it. That, to me, is some of the area where I think it's absolutely critical that we look at giving EQ the opportunity to work its magic with our employees and in the hospitality industry. But the employees need to see that in their leaders or else there's no reason for them to buy in. Absolutely. You know, the studies that you know, Daniel Goleman talks about in terms of yes. the social brain. And yes. one is um, where there was a, there was a, a chimpanzee in Italy. There, these, and they were doing some studies with him and, and there was part of, a, you know, brain scans, part of his brain would, would light up when he raised his arm. And then one day the, the, the scan started lighting up and he wasn't raising his arm. The chimpanzee wasn't raising his arm. And what happened was, is one of the uh, lab assistants, you know, it was during the summer and it was a hot day, went out and bought a gelato. And every time the lab assistant picked up his, his arm to put the spoon to his mouth, the chimpanzee's brain was lighting up. And so, <laughs> and so we, when we say we can feel the vibrations or the energy in a room, it, it is so true. And, and the, yeah. the other one of that is they actually, and, and I'm paraphrasing this too, is they actually put blind people in front of computer screens and they flashed up images of people smiling or frowning. And these people were blind and they would smile or frown based off what the image was in front of them because there are a mirror neurons. And, and so someone who's a, 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 a chef or a sous chef or a influential leader on the floor, supervisor, or even a manager or general manager steps on the dining room floor or in the back door of the kitchen, that staff is picking up through their social brain, their mirror neurons, whether to tighten up or to lighten up based off what the persona that's being given off. And if, if you carry that one step further, if someone has a low emotional intelligence and is reacting in a negative way, then then what happens is, is that that trickles down all the way to the guest and then all the way Absolutely. to the, the P&L. Absolutely. And, you know, that's so true. And yet many organizations don't talk about that connection with their uh, employees. And it's important for the employees to know what are the connections between what I'm offering to the guests 
and our bottom line. They right. may not care from the standpoint that this is just getting me through school or this is just something I'm doing as a, you know, part of the gig economy. But the reality is without them knowing, there's no way that they can, they can do a better job of supporting. One of the things that I find out with a lot of my coaching clients who are struggling with some areas, they're technically competent at what they do. But from an emotional standpoint, they are not. And so oftentimes, we're working through challenges and scenarios that will help them build their emotional intelligence to a higher level. And one of the uh, irritations and one of the areas where they can get very, they're, they're hijacked by their emotions, they don't understand why they need to spend time collaborating with their employees, communicating better. Um, you know, making sure that the employees understand things. Their perspective is, I hired them. I hired them at a very good salary. They get great benefits. Quote, I expect them to do what they're supposed to do. And we find out that even when you look at the other sides of things like um, inclusive leadership and how employees now are making a determination if they feel like they belong to these various companies, whether they are large or whether they are small. And I like to say to a lot of my clients, and even when we're working with larger municipalities, what is it that you're doing to make the employees feel like they're very glad they're with you as opposed to another organization because of the way they feel when they're in your organization. So that whole sense of belonging also has a major connection to uh, EQ. And again, it's important for leaders to know that they have a role in being inclusive in that discussion with their employees. And I like to see a lot of leaders, they should be in that new employee training. And when I was at the Federal Reserve Bank, that was one thing that was really important. I designed a new uh, employee program. And one of the areas that I found out from a lot of the new employees, boy, I'm so glad you brought in Mr. So-and-so or Ms. So-and-so. I had no idea what they did or how they're connected to the Federal Reserve Bank, for example. So it's important for our employees to believe that the people that are supporting them have a commitment in some of the ways that we've just talked about. Absolutely. I've had the most success <clears throat> as a general manager of a restaurant when I do the initial onboarding and orientation. Mm -hmm. and, and then, um, and, and as I'm doing research more, learning more about hiring, higher retention rates, lower turnover, the cost of turnover, all those things, mm. I'm seeing how important onboarding is. And I think actually it's the most important piece of, of hiring. So, you know, I, I have seven hiring principles that, that I have. And number seven is mise en place, which is a French term, everything's in its place, which is getting ready for the job is more important than the job itself. I would agree with that. And I think another area that, and I'm so very glad to hear that you do your own onboarding Again, even if you have guests that come into the onboarding, hopefully, you know, if you are able to do longer than a day's onboarding or maybe two half days, giving the 
employees the opportunity <clears throat> to hear from others who might still be there after 15 years. Right. A lot of people do not understand why people stay. And that whole notion of staying, as far as I'm concerned, is a, a testament to how the employees believe they're being treated, how they're being taken care of, because I want to make sure that they take care of my guests the same way. Right. You, you know, restaurants that have people that work in it for 15 years are, they're, they're there. There's, there's plenty of them, but it's rare. You, you know, I was just, you know, turnover ratios, especially for front, you know, frontline employees yes. to be over a hundred percent Yes. In, in a year. And so, um, so I've worked with people who've been in places for 15 years. I've worked with people um, that have been in places for 30 years before and, uh, and worked with them beside them. And, you know, for some of us, they could only dream of that, you know, yes. getting to that, that point. But yeah. what, you're, what you're really talking about is, is it, it goes back, and I, and I sound like a broken record sometimes, that 80% of the people who quit a job do so because they're direct supervisor. Yes. And if, if a direct supervisor flies off the handle, can't control their emotions, gets, as I use, hijacked by their emotions and, and can't control themselves and they create this work environment that's not fun and, and not productive and not profitable, then why would that employee even think about staying there? That's correct. And then, that is correct. And then what happens is as your turnover rate goes up, your profits go down and then Next thing you know, you're not triggering off bonuses and you're not making as much money for all the hard work and all the hours you're doing and all the extra time you're having to spend to interview people because you can't hold on to anybody. So it's a right. double-edged sword. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree, Scott. Yeah. So you, you, uh, you mentioned Marriott, host Marriott. Um, mm -hmm. can, just tell, tell me a little bit about that because I also worked, I think, in a, in a different division. I was working for, you know, in a different time too. Marriott Autograph Collection as a director of food and beverage. So tell me oh, a little okay. bit about your responsibilities with Marriott. Well, uh, and, and I must admit, I loved that job. <laughs> and I think part of it is because I, I like being around people. I was very enthusiastic about what we were doing. And when I joined Host Marriott, it was in like, I think the mid nineties. Um, Host Marriott services managed restaurants, bars, and gift shops in a series of airports. And um, I was in, I was based in the San Francisco airport, but I had several other airports that came under our uh, ex uh, executive VP's purview. So what that meant was that I had, uh, gosh, I don't know, and I'm paraphrasing here, so don't hold me to the numbers, but I could have had as many as, you know, 1,500 or more employees in all of these airports that I managed. Um, we had a few unions as well. And the airports themselves, like Sacramento, like San Francisco, Seattle, Salt Lake City, etc., each one of those airports was run by a general manager. And the concepts were restaurants, bars, gift shops, and we were the master concessionaires for those. In addition, we brought in small women and minority-owned businesses as well in order, because depending on the cities that we were in, it was important that they uh, provide economic opportunity for the uh, uh, small businesses that were there. So that was exciting too. Now, as a result, 
I was responsible for both. I was what's called director level in the field because each of these were field areas. And I was responsible for both human resources and learning and development, or in those days, training and development. So under me with my staff, we made sure that people got hired, that the training got done, and I reported directly to the executive VP, as did the top leaders of each of these large concepts. What was exciting about this when I look back, Scott, in terms of emotional intelligence was, it's one thing for each of these leaders to believe that they were responsible. They knew they were responsible for profit and loss, and they were very good at what they did. They also knew that their direct reports had to be trained appropriately to make sure that inventories were done, that um, uh, products and services were taken care of, that we dealt uh, with uh, workers' comp and we reduced that, et cetera, et cetera. Where I came in was really wanting them to think twice because remember, before I came into this role, I only had my graduate degree time in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. So I found out that my executive VP was looking for someone like me that did not have the general uh, food and beverage experience. And the advantage was I looked at our business differently. Right. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So I, I looked at I it differently and I brought different things to bear in terms of the business. It was absolutely critical to me that I be, uh, that I really provide a lot of these areas that we're going to look at in terms of emotional intelligence. I brought that with me to the job. I knew that day in, day out, the bartenders are going to be seeing travelers. Day in, day out, uh, people are going to be buying T-shirts in, uh, in a lot of our concept stores. Day in, day out, they're running in to get a meal before they have to get on a flight. Mm. That was the rote part of the business. But I looked at it from the standpoint that each of those guests is different. Their issues are different. Each of our employees had different opportunities, were looking to do different things in their position. And I thought it was really important to get a lot of our employees who did not think they had leadership potential to just think about doing some things that supported where the business was going. And for me, that was exciting because I got to then use emotional intelligence as a trigger for getting people to think about the value that they brought to post Marriott services. And therefore I had to, I had to mimic the same thing. I had to be the same as I was asking my direct reports to. I encouraged their feedback on how they thought I was doing. I also did so with my boss. And I, I found out that there were several things that were important, this whole notion of, as you talked about earlier, am I going to let my emotions hijack me? Or if I have to coach or counsel some of the employees, including some of the managers, was I going to be able to talk to them about how they let their emotions hijack them and get them to talk to me about other ways that they could have done it? So I, from that standpoint, 
love the work that I did at Host Marriott Services. I have to believe that I was part of the reason why we did so well in a lot of our concepts and also in our various airports. Um, I also had uh, the Hawaiian Islands as well. That was in my territory. And please, Scott, don't let anyone tell you, oh, it's so great you had Hawaii in your, in your territory. Here's the reality. I had jet fumes and tourists every time I went to Hawaii. If I wanted a vacation, I had to go back for a vacation. So it was still work, even though I loved the work that I was doing in all of my airports. I totally get that. Uh, you know, we have sometimes, you know, you know, offices for people in our position don't have windows, right? We yes. Maybe, yes. maybe have great views from the loading dock, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that is so true yeah <laughs> uh you know or, or something like that and uh, i think i got that from chef Dwayne keller of <laughs> a beautiful view from the loading dock When we think about the things that we don't know well, and I put myself in that category of not always feeling like I'm phenomenal at technology. Uh, my business partner is much better at it, as is my husband, much, much better at it than I am. But I do recall that one of the challenges that we have when I sometimes get emotionally hijacked is when I don't know enough about the technology and then on top of it, it doesn't work. So I think that in that particular case, if I remember it well, I was losing it and I, there was no way that I was going to be okay with the situation of trying to manage getting back and we had all these challenges with my passport. <clears throat> I will say this, if, if I didn't mention this to you before, I think that the way the person who was trying to help me handled it was much better than the way I was handling it. If that's the part of the story that you remember. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's, it's interesting, right? I, I'm the same way. If technology, you know, is supposed to work a certain way and it's not working and I have a deadline to hit. Yes. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. I'm like and, zooming. And yet, yeah. Yes. And that's the whole thing of physician heal thyself. You know, it's one thing for us to be able to talk intelligently and confidently about emotional intelligence. But the reality is, no matter how much we know about it and, and, and can support others in building their own emotional intelligence, there's still going to be times when that happens to us as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until we get our amygdala and our lizard brain removed. Yes. Right. And, you know, or go sit on a mountaintop and, and meditate for 40 hours a week. You know, we're, we're in to build this moat and wall between our emotions and our ability to spot, respond with logic. We're going to at times get hooked. And, yes. and now here's the thing. We will get hooked. We will get hooked less often and we will stay on the hook less. Yes. Time. Because we're more conscious about it, too. Absolutely. And so we, we absolutely understand what's happening to us and we can manage what's happening to us. Right. So let's talk about that. And then I can, you know, you know which is the pillars of emotional intelligence. And, 
And if, if we want to lay those down now, and then we can wrap all this up and, and, and finish, finish up the, the podcast or the interview okay. with, with how we can increase our emotional intelligence. Because we said this is what people bring to, bring to the table, right? And with a high EQ, we've talked about, told different stories about it. Then we, now we're, now we're, and we've, you know, and now we're going to go into what it is, and then we can talk about how we can, can raise emotional intelligence. So yeah. what are the okay. pillars of emotional intelligence? Okay, so again, I think that one of the challenges that we see with emotional intelligence is not only understanding what those pillars are, but then how do we apply them? Mm. So when we look at the four that, you know, Daniel Goleman kind of brings out these four uh, and others <clears throat> pillars, they include self-awareness, self-management or your ability to self-regulate and, and self-motivate yourself. The third one, social awareness and the importance of understanding what's going on around you. And then relationship management is the fourth. How we look at the relationships that we have, those that we're trying to build, etc. So these four domains become very, very important. I will say this when we look under the first one of self-awareness. The two areas besides the emotional awareness how clear are we about the things that trigger us and that's a really important piece um, we need to have an awareness of how things trigger us and why and we need to realize the links between those feelings and what we think say and do so that emotional awareness is the first one. The second one under self-awareness is really to what extent can we have a, an accurate self-awareness of ourselves? Do we know our own strengths and weaknesses? Um, people that have this competency in being really good at uh, self-assessment are uh, not only aware of their strengths and weaknesses, but they also are, are good at learning from experience, which is another one. They're open to candid feedback. Um, <clears throat> they do want to be part of continuous learning and self-development. For those who have this high competency under accurate self-assessment, they are continually learning. And by the way, they usually have a good sense of humor and perspective about themselves. And then I would say the third thing, when you look under self-awareness, which is that first domain, is what we talked about a little bit earlier with self-confidence. Right. <clears throat> you know, a sureness about your self-worth, your capabilities, and being comfortable with the fact that you can present yourself in a self-assured fashion. You can voice views that may or may not be popular and still feel confident that when you go out on a limb, you're willing to take that risk. And oftentimes, people that are more self-confident are usually more decisive, but that doesn't mean that they won't give voice to others. Okay. Absolutely. So that's the first one that's under self-awareness a little quicker on the, the second one is self-management. Can I, can I stop you right there? Please, I want to tell you please. a funny story about okay. self-awareness or my lack of self-awareness through my whole process here of trying to, you know, build, build my EQ score. Uh, I was, you know, working as the general manager of the Roos Chris Steakhouse in Park City, Utah, which 
you love skiing in Park City. I lived there for 14 years and still, yes. my, yeah, it's a uh, wonderful best snow, place. Best snow on earth, right? And so, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, I was, you know, my lead host, Ashley, and if Ashley hears this, she'll remember the story. It was such an eye opening piece to me about my a my lack of self-awareness around one element it was in my blind spot and then how it affected uh, the entire organization so what happens is when you're in a hotel uh, or in a big chain to for an employee to come in and get their employee discount there needs to be a check off by the manager on duty or the general manager or director of food and beverage Correct. or somebody that's coming in especially on a holiday or a you know, weekend night where you could be, you know, using those tables and seats to get the full boat instead of having them at a discount, a 50% discount. Right. Because right. we're all in this to, you know, make money on some, some level. Right. And, and I would sometimes walking through the dining room, see somebody that was, you know, maybe a concierge or front desk agent or somebody from engineering sitting in the dining room and I had been there since 1030 in the morning and I knew nothing about them coming and nobody told me, nobody said anything and I would get so upset about it. And what happened was, is Ashley put these together that I didn't like surprises. So she would get into work on them that those Fridays or Saturdays or holidays and she would scan the open table reservation system to make sure that if there was anybody that would set me off, that she would tell me. Yeah. So, good. yeah. And so what happened, she told me that one day, she's like, oh yeah, this is what I do, it, you know, to, to, because you don't like surprises. And I went, here I am, you know, the law of the lid, emotional intelligence 2.0, you know, read the book, took the test, did all these things. And my whole self-awareness piece around you know, employees coming to eat and in the dining room on a Friday night was in my firmly two feet planted in my blind spot. Yeah. And I can't thank Ashley enough for actually telling me that because now is something that I've been able to, for the most part, um, you know, do away with and work on because it's a lifestyle practice for me. It's not like something, emotions are not something you can just like cancer have surgery and remove. And, and so and you also mentioned that what you use is like a 360 degree, uh, you know, assessment to help people understand where they can work on their awareness piece. And so right. that's something you want to expand on or, but I think the, the, the first level is just being aware that you a have a problem <coughs> and then that way you can start working on fixing it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's another piece that sometimes gets left out. If employees and leaders and managers are doing a phenomenal job in their job, the equation looks like you're doing a great job. You are technically competent. It's almost as if we're okay to turn a blind eye to all the other areas that either make employees uncomfortable or make our customers or our clients uncomfortable. But the reality is now, if you've noticed just in the news over the last few years, boards of directors aren't as willing to keep a CEO or a high level executive who, oh, by the way, they're making money for the organization, but every other part of the business is going downhill. And so I think it's important for there to be conversations. There needs to be open communication about 
how phenomenal we think our employees are, no matter their level in the organization, and coupled with what our expectation is around them being both technically and emotionally competent. It isn't good enough if they bring in $50 million a year and you have 250% turnover in your staff and your leaders. That does not equate unless the only thing you care about is the money. But eventually that goes away. So, so I think that um, I really appreciate you telling that story. Your employee who was look, quote unquote looking out for you knew that you had a lot to bring to the table. But heaven forbid she would have been one that had been, had gotten your wrath one day or one night. Then you may not have had her anymore either after that. So bravo that you heard her, that you decided you wanted to do something about it. And I think <clears throat> even with our other employees and leaders, we need to have more conversations about what the expectations are around this. People need to take accountability and responsibility, not just for their own emotions, because it isn't just you fly off the handle. Our emotions are not always negative. So I think when we look at some of the other domains or pillars around emotional intelligence, that gives us an idea to see that it isn't always the negative of we can't manage our emotions. Sometimes we have employees who are very shy, very quiet, do not give any indication that there are some areas that need to be uh, challenged or repaired, etc. Instead, maybe they just leave or they say nothing. So if we really need to look at the balance in that. And if I might, let me just go really quickly to this next uh, pillar, which is self-management. Mm -hmm. Self-management is going to include how we manage our impulsive behaviors as well, how we think clearly. By the way, under self-management, I like to include to what extent can our people and myself step back and reflect? To what extent can I exercise self-reflection to really get a handle on what just happened here? Or what happened last night in the restaurant? Or gosh, what happened with that guest in the hotel? So self-reflection becomes a key part of this whole self-management piece to me, as well as <clears throat> people that see themselves or others see them as trustworthy, they're conscientious, they're very flexible and adaptable, and they also can come up with innovation. So again, if I look at self-awareness, or excuse me, self-management, all of these areas are kind of pegged underneath that we should be looking at as one of those pillars. Absolutely. If somebody does get the hook and, they, and they're pulled off track and, and we've used the, the term hijacked right. a lot, you know, yes. Um, yes. this regulation piece is what can get you off the hook or get you back to reality um, quickly. And sometimes people, they have this, you know, hangover for a couple of days, depending on what level this is at. But another right. one might be, you know, you know, like I, there isn't, for instance, one time in my career, there was a, uh, we had a host that, um, and it wasn't actually different place, different, you know, different host and, and would, you know, just could not control her emotions in a, in a positive way, uh, would hang up the phone and make negative facial expressions about the, can't believe that person even asked about if we do to go food or those type of things. And, yeah. Um, was 
had this inability, or let's just say a low EQ score. And we ended up for poor performance and, and bad attitude because it kind of gets wrapped into that bad attitude piece. Um, you know, as we were counseling her in the office and the response was, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, you know, over the time. And when we unfortunately had to, you know, separate employment, believe it or not, our sales went up 5% the next week. Oh my goodness. I understand why. Yeah. One, well, but one employee was affecting top line revenue with yes. a low EQ at a negative 5%. Yes. That's yeah, huge. I, I, it, it is huge. And I think there's another piece. We can talk all we want about what our expectations are for how our employees deliver service. Okay. Mm -hmm. How they deliver it. I think the other piece that goes in there is you have to understand that without the guest, you aren't here. Without <laughs> right. the guest, we have no restaurant. Without the guest, our hotel is a ghost town. So right. oftentimes, employees believe that they, that the guest is the one who's wrong, that the guest is the one who needs to kiss the ring because they're the ones who are providing the guest with everything. It's really the other way around. So when you don't have that humility and that sense of empathy, if a guest did not have a good experience, and let's say, which I saw happen one time, roll their eyes and say they don't know what they're looking for in terms of time out. It's not for you to make the determination how good or bad the, the guest service experience was, unless you know for a fact because you talked to the guest. But it cannot be that the guest is always wrong. The guest is right even when they're wrong. They're always right. You have and to, so you, we oftentimes don't look at that when we come to emotional intelligence. And that brings me right into this next pillar, right. which is social awareness looking at empathy, you know, you talked about it earlier. People who have this competency are attentive to the emotional cues and listen well. You may be behind on a couple of your tables. You don't stand there and twiddle your thumbs or stamp your foot while you're waiting for another customer to make a decision on a meal. Nor do you make that determination for them because you can't wait to get to your other tables. Nor do you say, well, I'll come back when you're ready. That's a statement that I absolutely hate because that tells me that they're only going to come back because they want that table sale, not because they care about whether I have a good experience. Mm. So that wow. whole sense of empathy becomes important, which feeds into the next one on social awareness, your service orientation. I used to say to some people, I don't think this is the role for you. I remember when I was working at that restaurant that I mentioned to you, wasn't a very busy day. I had a guy who turned out to, to be a repeat customer. I was so pleased about it. But uh, I wasn't always sure-footed, Scott, when I was delivering my food and all that. And I was bringing his coffee service to the table and accidentally dumped the coffee in his lap. Oh. Accidentally, I tripped and the cup of coffee, even though it wasn't very hot, it, I tripped and it, it went most of it into his pants and, and on his jeans. And I'll never forget, I was mortified. 
I didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, I hadn't been there very long. It was daytime. And I thought, okay, I'm going to lose this job. And he said, Marvell, don't worry about it. These are my please spill coffee jeans that I'm wearing today. So you did the right thing. Everything is fine. I mean, I'm telling you, if he hadn't said that, I would have gone in and given my resignation. <laughs> and I got a $20 tip out of it, you know? So it, it was sometimes your guests have more empathy with you than you have with them. And I think it's important for us to recognize that it can come from all places. It can, for sure. It can, it, you know, and sometimes there, there's been times that I've gotten upset about something, having to comp an entire table's meal because of mistakes we shouldn't have made. And I'm upset. I'm angry about that because it shouldn't have happened. And the server was calmer than I was. You know, and, and they weren't going to get any tip off of it either. Right. So it was, you know, and and And, so I, you know, this is something that, you know, you know, for people who may have worked for me 20 years ago could say, this is not the Scott Stanfield that I worked for when he's talking (laughs) about emotional intelligence and all those things. And for those people, first of all, I'm sorry. Second, second of all, it's, this is the evolution of where we're going and where, you know, humankind is going to be as we're progressing and putting names onto this and labeling things and coaching people about what it really takes to be a good human. And, and, yes. and not even just at work, but to, it, it, around our family and friends, because, yeah. you know, we just, the more that we can absorb uh, as, as people, the, the better, every interaction is going to be. And so what happens is when you're somebody, you're spilling coffee on a guest and he absorbs that and gives you a $20 tip, you know, that's, that's what being a great human's about. Yes. I, I agree with you. He understood intuitively the nervousness that I was feeling before I spilled the coffee. So he was already in tune to my emotions he was already prepared to be empathetic. He thought I had already done a good job up to that point in terms of having a good service orientation. He was already there. But he also knew that his opera, why would I be talking about this story 100 years later if it didn't have some kind of impact on my ability to support others, Scott? Right, absolutely. That That's comes what in- I, and I don't remember his name, but I remember this situation. And it was important for me <clears throat> you to be remember, able to demonstrate you that. I remember how his face looked. Though. I mean, his face Absolutely. and you know, all that yes. stuff, right? I think he remembers more my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, empathy is, uh, I got asked one time, it's like, what's your leadership style? And I said, it starts with empathy. And yeah, the, the reason I said that is because at the, of all the things that I've looked at, I've gone through this you know, major transformation over the last eight years. And I've, you know, read a lot of books and listened to a lot of, you, you know, you got to think of like eight years, how much the internet's changed, how much more content there is there for us to absorb. So podcast videos on YouTube books, and this ranges from, you know, my wife and I taking a marriage class at our church and it having uh, empathy in that and in, in there. And then you listen to leaders eat last by Simon Sinek. And there's, right. there's, there's I empathy. Have that book. And then great book. Absolutely changed me. I listened to this TED Talk, yes. New Year's Eat Last. It's 12 minutes long. I've, I've probably listened to that probably 200 times. 
Wow. I share that with people. And if I find myself getting just a little agitated where I'm at work or not enough sleep or any of those things, I will listen to that on the way to work as many times as it takes for me to get centered again so I can, I can raise my emotional intelligence so the team really feels, you know, you know, that I care for them first before me and, and that the leader is going to eat last. And actually, um, you know, have had people that are, you know, in the reserves or former military refer that book to me that, that have worked for me. Yes. And we talk about it and how that is the practice of the Marines and the officers when they're in the field and, and those things. And it's, it's a real piece where, um, you know, how that happens. And then, you know, then there's other things, you know, Brene Brown um, mm-hmm. with empathy. There is the, the list goes on and on and on. I actually have a page in one of my journals where I write down all the sources of where I've seen empathy. And it's probably bordering around 20 different places in every category. And for people who really know me and know, you know, the, the, the level of content that I consume on all these different topics, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk on empathy with employees that, you know, and also with, um, um, Chris Voss's book on FBI hostage negotiation techniques, which, um, which is called never split the difference, negotiate like your life depends on it. His, uh, tactical empathy, um, ability is in there as well. And so empathy, if you start from a place of understanding other people, if you start with a place of like, I can put myself in their chair, their shoes, their place in life right now, this moment, you know, it will help us understand that the place that they're living, the perception of reality is where they are. And we have to understand that as fact for them. And then we can help them come back to where we are, or at least make the problem um, better and connect with them. No, I agree. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to give you just a couple of more things before we look at, uh, things that managers can do. I I just want to touch a little bit on relationship management. Okay. And this one involves things we've already talked about, the ability to influence and persuade, how you look at communication, and, and and really the give and take around communication, Scott, I think is really important. We talked earlier about active listening and being able to listen without judgment And then the extent to which we can inspire and guide, again, oftentimes we'll bring out our own vulnerability when we look at the leadership piece around relationships. And then to what extent are we a change catalyst? And to what extent can we manage conflict? Again, I always tell a lot of the leaders that I I work with and do training with, as well as coaching clients, it's important for you as leaders to manage conflict not solve the conflict. You work with your employees to look at ways to solve conflict amongst themselves, but you need to manage what it's going to look like, how you handle difficult people, um, how you spot potential things that could be happening in terms of conflict. In other words, we need to be, if we're emotionally intelligent, able to look around the corner to see what's there before it hits us in the back of the head. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, so so how can people like, let's say somebody's listening to this on the way to work and they're pulling into the parking garage right now and they're like going, okay, you've got me. I know emotional intelligence is important. I know I need to, to, to do this to be a better leader. 
you know, what are things that they could do right now to, to help in this particular shift they're walking into right now? So I think there's a few things. First of all, I love the huddle. I like the pre-huddle, and we used to do this a lot. And <clears throat> oftentimes, the huddle starts with, let me tell you all the things that are 86 today. Right. And while that's important, I think more important is for a quick go-round with the leader. Hi, everybody. Hope everyone had a good weekend. You don't have time to ask, what did you do this weekend? But I hope everyone had a good day off, or I hope you're all ready. We've got some great uh, things on the menu today. In other words, for me, that leader can start with being just a little bit of a salesman or saleswoman. And that means finding out what's going on with your people before you jump right into what's 86 on the menu. That can take two minutes max. You don't have to get everybody, but you need to give them eye contact and see who nods their head. Hey, I hope everybody had a good day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I hope you guys had a good day off and I hope you guys are looking forward to it. So that's the first thing. In other words, they need to engage their people and not just in the general rope every day of what we do when we have a huddle. That's number one. That means then that I'm building as that leader a collaborative work environment. That to me is number two. That collaboration is, hey, you guys, you know the flu. I'm making this up now, Scott. You know the flu is going around. We've had three people already call in sick. I want to invite you guys to really support one another today. Let's collaborate. I'm going to be available for you to call me onto the floor and support you. And I'm going to do so as if I'm your team member, not as if I'm your boss. Does that make sense? That makes Scott? perfect sense. Absolutely. Okay, because We're in this together. Is what yeah, it is. We're in we, this together. Exactly. We tend to go into those opportunities as if I'm your boss. So therefore, you're going to dress me down in front of a client or a customer? I don't think so. So they need to articulate. I'm going to be your team member. I'm going to need, if we have something to say to one another afterward, or if I miss something, please let me know when we're in the back room, because it needs to be seamless to the customer. So that Absolutely. collaboration, working together. And then the third thing that I would say, again, it's around communication. There needs to be more improvement on internal communication. So in the huddle, if I were that leader, I would be saying, hey, everybody, just want to let you know, I heard you when we had our last team meeting and you said there wasn't enough information going around about blah, blah, blah. So I just want to let you know, I'm putting together a little two paragraph uh, internal communique that I'd like you all to read and come to me with any concerns or areas that you think we need to add on. Because I heard you that our internal communication is not good enough and you want it to be better. That's the next thing I would do. Again, three things around that part. And then I'm looking to them for ways to build overall productivity and to motivate the, the workforce. And one of that motivation might be something as simple as, Hey, I know you guys are busy with graduate school and you're busy with your families and et cetera, et cetera. But I really want to look at ways that we can begin to work better together and with one another. And you've got my commitment and I'm going to take responsibility 
for making sure that we can look at a couple of ways that we can adapt that are going to make sure we do things better than we've done before. So that leader can go in with just a couple of communication opportunities. His people or her people are not going to, in that five-minute huddle, give the Gettysburg Address or tell them, here's what I would do. They need time to reflect on it. And therefore, that leader should be saying, I know this is a little bit to absorb, but I'd really like you to come back to me when we have our next huddle. We'd love to hear from you. Plus, minus, delta, what you think. And I commit to you that there's not going to be any judgment on my part on anything that you bring up. And then they need to act on that. Then they need to do it or else they'll never get anything else out of that team. Right, exactly. Right. So you've got when something comes up that would have a tendency to set you off, you've got to be able to take a couple deep breaths through your nose and let it pass by, as Bruce Lee said, and respond with logic versus, you know, letting the emotions take care of you and and control control all those actions. Yeah, so I'm going to push back on you, Scott, just a little bit. Because we can't, we're not made to always respond to everything with logic. And I instead would think rather than let my emotions hijack me, I want to be able to say, as long as it's not a guest, to whoever I'm talking to, hey, you know what? I know that could have bothered me in the past, but why don't you come back to me with something that we could do a little bit differently next time? Because the control that your emotions have over you are to react and you're not solving whatever the issue is. The opportunity might be, oh, you know what, Bob, in the past, that may have really, really, really bothered me. But you know what, now, let's you and I look at a way that we can move this forward so that we don't have to deal with it anymore and neither do any of the other employees. Are you okay with that? Because what you're doing in a way is letting your own emotions kind of not evaporate, but just kind of calm down a little bit. And by the way, create an opportunity to hear from Bob. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bob. You know, that wasn't quite the way we normally do it. What, what would you have done differently? Give Bob a chance to respond because that might mean that Bob then all of a sudden totally gets it. So you're, you're, saying, you're saying experience your emotions, but experience them in a different way. Uh, it's exactly what I'm saying. And sometimes I'm also saying that I want to bring in the other person who might have been... Um, Uh, 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 impacted by what the situation is. And I've been at restaurants where the staff is being yelled at by the leadership. And that's not a pretty picture. Now, that being said, we've also seen it on television with a lot of the reality shows in restaurants where they yell at the people. Uh, Not my idea of a good time, but I'm looking for ways where the team can collaborate. That's one thing. Two, I don't want to be the only one telling the team how they should behave. I want the team to come to me with some ideas about how they should behave, what they can change, what they can all agree to should look differently. Mm. That's so, that is so deep. And that's, that's so true. I mean, you're speaking, you know, in terms of like a, a, that's not only, that's a group regulation, not a self-regulation, but a group, self-regulating yes. atmosphere because what probably what you're getting at is that as you as your team grows in emotional intelligence as a leader grows in emotional intelligence you're experiencing your emotions 
there you're you're growing your awareness you're growing your self-regulation the, the collective is actually growing its regulation as well yes and and let's go up just a little bit deeper here you know i cannot expect anything of my team scott if i'm not willing to give it so i need to model respect i need to model that help helpfulness i need to model cooperation I can't just, and, and that means I am not going to say negative things about my staff to guests either. They're, my staff is part of my family. I'm not going to disrespect them. But I also want to make sure that I draw them into and get them actively participating and enthusiastic about what the experiences we expect of the guests. I mean, that the guests might expect of us. So we have to build that, that commitment with them. And even though you'll hear people say, it's just a job, it's just a job. I, I got to tell you, and you already know this, when you go out to restaurants with your family, it's a double-edged sword for us because we have higher expectations than the people that are serving us. <laughs> and Absolutely. Maybe even maybe even than the restaurant itself. So we're going to ask different questions. We're going to ask, for example, you know, I have a question for your manager. Can you, can you have the manager come over? Okay, I'll see if the manager's not busy. That's not what you tell the guest because that makes that guest persona non grata. And the guest doesn't want to hear, you're going to let the manager make a determination on whether I'm important enough for him or her to come and talk to. How do they know? It could have been, I heard you're looking for an investor and I've got $50 million in my purse that I'm going to give you to invest. Exactly. It's not always a negative when we ask to see the manager. Absolutely. I mean, wow, this is, so let, let's see here. So there, you know, this goes back to like the basic where an employee might say something like, oh, I rang it in the right way but the kitchen messed it up. Yes. Yes. Right? That's blaming. Yeah. Right. The blaming yeah. piece where, where instead of saying, you know, I'm so sorry, let me get this fixed or, you know, so you're, you're talking about even the subtleties of language. Let me see that if the manager is available instead of saying absolutely right away, you know, th those type of things. Yeah. And yet, yeah. and yet that absolutely right away is not fair either to the guests because they have an expectation that the manager is going to come when the manager doesn't, the manager might, hear from the, well, I thought you were coming right away. And then the manager says, well, I was busy with something else. I would say instead that before I'd even turn it over to the manager, I have asked the question of the guest, oh, Mr. Smith, I'd be happy to get the manager for her. Even when we have phone calls, uh, Scott, when we're on the phone with someone who's delivering service, I want them to ask, Miss Allen, is there something I can do to support you before I bring our manager on board? What can I do? I want them to be that in intermediary. Mm. And if the team doesn't know that you've given them that kind of leeway and carte blanche, then they will defer to, I got to get myself out of trouble and blame someone else. This is also an area where when you have your huddles, and we had to do this when we had a new uh, POS system, you get the cook, you get the chef, you get the sous chef, you get the people who do the desserts, you get the bartender, you get everyone in this group together. Because if not, the bartender team is going to think that it's us versus them. The chef team is going to think it's us versus them. Everyone has to be together 
take the same accountability, ask the questions that are going to make it easy for them to support one another. And then as leader, I would ask, okay, here's the scenario. Kitchen, you got the wrong ticket from the server. What's something you could do about that? Get them to start to brainstorm creative ideas. This is part of emotional intelligence. If I'm only having to think about something negative, when I'm in the moment of the negative, I'm in trouble. My, my emotions are always going to hijack me. If I've got some what-if scenarios in my back pocket, then I get the opportunity to say, okay, if X happens, here's how I might handle it, but not without communication to the other people that are involved as well. So that collaboration, communication, you know, building those bonds with my team members are absolutely critical because you and I both know we have mystery shoppers that come into our restaurants too. They're not just in retail. Absolutely. We get those, you know, all those things are being graded on. And I love that that you're giving, you know, scenarios in how do we handle the situation or we can look at how do we handle this next time? Like you said, if if you're in the moment and you're having to decide in the moment how to handle this, it becomes, you know, a delay, right? It's like, oh, I got the wrong ticket. They ring in the wrong steak or the wrong chicken or the wrong fish and, or they ring in something that we don't understand what this means. And now the expediter comes and finds the manager. The manager has to go find the server, which could be, anywhere from outside smoking because they're waiting for their ticket to, you know, be cooked yep. to yep. at the to at the bar or outside the front door on the sidewalk. And now they're yep. trying to track them down, you know, or in the restroom, they could be anywhere, right? You know, yep. and yep. trying to track them down and like go ask a question, what does this mean? And yes. so you're basically methodically building an emotionally intelligent operation inside of a restaurant. Yes. And does it take a little bit more time, Scott, on the front end to put these things in place? Absolutely. Does it take more patience? Absolutely. Does it take, uh, you know, multiple conversations? Absolutely. But on the back end, I'd much rather have all of this on the front end than to have to deal with twice or three times as much grief on the back end. Mm. I'm so with you. This is, this is such a compelling conversation and we've covered so much ground, right? We, you know, we went from, you know, you know, we went from graduate school to pre-shifts and how to actually raise emotional intelligence of your, your group and your own personal emotional intelligence and self-regulation and everything in between. It's been, we even talked about chimpanzees and gelato. I mean, we've been, I love that. Yeah. yeah we've been all over the, <laughs> all over the place. When I start thinking of how much gratitude I have for you coming on the show today and, and doing this, I can't thank you enough. It's been absolutely amazing. So before we wrap this up, where can people find you online and how can they get in touch with you if they want to? Like if I'm, I'm saying like if you, if, you need a, if you want a coach to coach your own leadership, you know, there's that. But then also if you're a regional director or, uh, you know, a VP of yes. a restaurant or an owner of a, a smaller restaurant group and you're looking for someone, a consulting firm to develop and deploy a leadership training program so you can turn all of your restaurants into this, call Marvell. That's yeah, I, and, and I thank you so much for that. And I would agree with you. I think the, the combination that I have in terms of both with uh, uh, Host Marriott Services and 
like so many other college students, we work at restaurants, but that doesn't mean they may or may not have the same interest and passion around, quote, supporting the guests. So my organization is Millennium Career Advantage, and I'm on LinkedIn as well, Marvell with two L's. I often tell people that if it was Marvel with one L, I'd be so rich and famous that no one would know me because of Marvel comic books and Captain Marvel, but I'm not that person. So <laughs> since I'm not, uh, I am on LinkedIn and um, they can certainly reach me on my website at millenniumcareeradvantage.com. Um, I am on Twitter as well, but I tend to use LinkedIn more. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I do travel for my clients. And it would certainly be a pleasure to support restaurants with uh, their needs in terms of emotional intelligence. But I think the unique thing, too, that my business partner and I bring to the table on this is that we've worked across many industries. And the advantage is we can get some of our clients to look past their own industry at how other industries and the challenges they have can support their own success. You, you and know, I'm very happy to do that. Yeah. It's so connected. You know, I've, I've often, yes. you know, when you think about what a restaurant is, it's, it's a production facility in the back where you're bringing yeah. in raw, raw material. You're taking it from a raw state, literally, I'm not and figuratively. Right. And turning it into uh, a prepped product that's then picked up at the time of order, turns it into a finished product that the sales team has just sold and delivering it sometimes in six to 20 minutes. Right. And, right. and so you have the sales force and the production team working side by side uh, at the same exact time in, in a high stress situation with people whose, whose native tongues are different languages from different parts yes. of the world with different yes. cultures to yes. deliver repeatable five-star review experiences day in and day out so you can just rise above the other people on your block so you can have a positive movement on your profit loss and trigger off a couple bonuses and do all those type of things. Yeah. So what and other... Let me mention... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say something about Host Marriott. When I, I was going, there, I was going to say, you know, not only what can we learn because we can learn, but also what other other industries can learn from what we have to yes. do to to deliver that on a day in and day out basis, from shift to shift. Yes, and you know what? There's not enough collaboration in that area as much. And I will tell you um, that a, a couple of other quick things. There's an organization that I've become aligned with called the COO Forum. And the COO Forum, and they're at cooforum.org, is an organization that supports the COOs in various types of companies and or their second-in-command. And I'm the director for the Oakland chapter of the COO Forum. And what I really like about it and the support that we're giving is that we have a multitude of industries that are represented with the COO forum. And we have these forums all over the world. Uh, we just had a, a, a director meeting today and one of our forum directors from London was on the phone. And what we found is we all cha are challenged with a lot of the same issues, hiring, scaling, 
strategic planning, etc. So when we look at something and emotional intelligence, I will also add because I will be bringing it up as a topic for discussion. But one of the things I think is interesting is when you look at an organization that is looking to scale and or looking to grow and or looking to match where their competitors are, just paying a little bit more attention to something like uh, emotional intelligence can help. And I think when I was with um, Host Marriott Services, I was on the team. It was a, um, I think there was only about 10 or 15 of us that were on this special task force to design a leadership development program for our general managers, for the general managers of the airports not the airport, but, you know, of host Marriott services, because it became really clear that there was so much value in what they brought to the table. We needed to be upping their skills so that they could be seen as leaders in other parts of the host Marriott business. So I was on that task force that was charged with building that program, and it was so successful, but it also got a lot of our people to think differently about the skills that they brought to the table. And I think that's a place where EQ can also be very, very valuable in the restaurant industry. Absolutely right. I mean, you know, what I notice about, you know, managers, what we do typically when the heat of the moment happens and we're in the middle of that shift that gets busy, I watch my managers migrate towards the area in which they started in the restaurant business or spent their most time working Mm. at the position. So I started in the kitchen. I migrate towards Expo, right? I've watched people who maybe managers who work for me from time to time that started or really worked a lot of time as a bartender, you know, where I think they need to be at the Expo window, you know, moving food out and pushing from that element. They're behind the bar making drinks in the well so the bartenders can take care uh, of there. And then I watch other managers that, you know, maybe started as a host or, you know, spent a fair amount of time as a host and then went to be a server. They end up migrating towards the host stand. And, and so we, um, you know, we, we do that as a natural tendency because that's where we feel the most comfortable and we go, I'm better at that. So I'm going to do that. And that's very important to where we are right now in this moment in this shift is for that part to run really well. And I'm probably better at that than anybody else that's here. But when you start talking about other talents that we bring to the table uh, in terms of being a a leader or a manager, that's that's what really resonates with me is that it's like, okay, instead of migrating to Expo, Scott, or somebody else going to the bar, somebody else going to the host, it's like our responsibility is the entire restaurant and helping pull the strings turn of everything that is going on so we can and not particularly like doing a position but leading the shift to overcome the challenges that we're going through at that particular moment which will involve emotional intelligence but yeah you know um you know but our own emotional intelligence first to stay calm to be that captain that's cool calm and collected under the the under the the heat of the moment but then also coaching our, our, our teams um, to, in the moment to help them through where, where they are um, in, in their emotionally or even tactically or you know, logistically and what they need help with. 
So uh, bravo, 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 Scott, you hit it. And I'll give you one last little caveat. I'm so glad you mentioned where we tend to gravitate to because of our comfort level. But this is where I think the communication becomes really important. And that is that one of the areas that you do is a whole walk a day in my shoes. And the walk a day in my shoes is where you may have gravitated, let's say, to the bar area. You get people that were in the bar area and that's where their comfort is. And you start to move people around so that they begin to see their entire business from a different perspective. And then you have them articulate some of the areas that they saw that were different. Remember why I said my leader hired me at Host Marriott Services because I didn't have that background and he was pretty sure he was going to get new and innovative things that he probably would not have thought of or the rest of his team. So while I have that initial discomfort in having to go into another area, use that discomfort to have me create ways that it can be looked at differently, even if I go back to the area I started at, if that was the kitchen or wherever, mm. but use it to begin to build that confidence around, I may not know all this from the beginning, but let me tell you what I'm learning about it now. So important. It's so important to cross train in those areas, especially in the heat of the moment. So you can see it from a different perspective. You know, Marvell, we could talk, you and I, I think, <laughs> I think we got another couple hours at least in us. <laughs> I think so too. We could, but we need to wrap this up just for the, the sake of the uh, people who are trying to you know, listen to this podcast. Uh, you know, again, folks, if you're looking for someone to develop and deploy a leadership program for your organization, the first person I'd call would be Marvell. Yeah, thank you so much too, Scott. And uh, emotional intelligence is one of the modules that we cover to mm. make sure that they have a well-rounded perspective on leadership development. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's a huge piece of it. For me, it's the greatest indicator of success and it's something yep. that I spend a lot of my time on, especially on the self-awareness uh, and regulation and also noticing that in my team members because the for me, my motto is to learn, be aware, and then share. And oh, I love that, Scott. Thank yeah. you very much. You're, you're welcome. And so, you know, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure that we're going to remain friends and maybe we'll have to do another episode one time and pick this up and talk about one of the other topics that you do. And Because I've listened to some of your things on YouTube and like on uh, influence strategies and, and things like that. So, um, you're such a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Scott, and I appreciate your having me. Happy New Year again to you and your colleagues, and I look forward to us continuing this conversation. You've been listening to the Restaurant General Manager Podcast. I hope you visit again soon. Please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me, Scott Stanfield, on LinkedIn or at my website, thegmcoach.com. Please stay tuned each week for new episodes of the Restaurant General Manager podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm from South Carolina. That's a big word for me.